absolutely ridiculous. Hello everyone, welcome to Around the Court Squash Podcast. We're delighted to welcome onto the show the current world number 77 and 91 in the shape of Karina Taima and Robbie Downer respectively, both of whom had just secured their first P- PSA World Tour titles. Amazing achievement. But before we speak to them, it's been a sad it's been a sad time for squash when we all learned of the passing of the great man Malcolm Wilstrop. Amazing coach, amazing person who did so much for so many people. It's a huge loss for the squash community and yeah it's uh it's very sad news very sad news actually um and quite out of nowhere certainly i, I had no idea that he was unwell or he'd been suffering for it seemed like a few months at least so yeah pretty tragic yeah i always um you know i've heard some great stories and stuff but it's always just as someone who likes to learn um would have been would have been nice to be able to meet someone like that and and learn from from their from their experience. Yeah, which, you both, which you both got to do, which I'm jealous. Is, of. Yeah, very 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 lucky. I think it just shows like someone who was committed and he was in the same space for the same time. He touched so many people's lives and did so many so much good for so many people, not just as. A, from a squash perspective, which is obvious when you look at the caliber of player that has, has come out of Malcolm's uh, teaching, like you know Lee Beachel and James Woodstock and Sam Todd being the obvious ones, but there's there's hundreds of, of more, um, but also just probably just made people a better person. It certainly was a huge influence on me, and most people hardly believe it, but I actually never even got banned. Yeah, I, I didn't spend as much time at Point of Fact as you did, Arthur, but I play Yorkshire League for a couple of seasons for them and we go across and train in the mornings occasionally uh, I also didn't get banned but I think that's probably because I wasn't there enough I'm pretty sure if I'd given him a full chance he would have found a way to ban me um, but yeah I was just I was I spent probably two or three hours last night just reading through all the tributes and articles uh, I mean from all sorts of people it just it makes you aware just how many people he's impacted through either coaching them directly or just being around them uh, throughout the years. Um, and there's also uh, Squash site posted a, a sort of repeat of a feature that Fram had done on him from 2004, I think. But it's it's absolutely brilliant. It's one of the best reads you'll probably ever get on the game, just talking to him about what influences him as a coach and how he got to where he was and uh, talking to some of the players, particularly uh, James and Lee, and their thoughts on Malcolm. And there was a few things that came, came across, I think. One is that he really did believe that coaching was teaching. And I think certainly some coaches that I've been around miss that part. They think that uh, their job is to make players better, but they fail to see that the way to make people better is the same way you would in a classroom. And I know Malcolm had a teaching background, but... I really felt when I did get to train with him that I learned about the game. So whether I was getting better or not, I was always enhancing my knowledge of what I should be doing, how, they, how I should be thinking. And I think he understood that better than most people. And I think he does it in such a fun way that kids learn at quite a young age without even realising that they're learning, which I think is one of the secrets to why he was so successful over the years. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that from your experience. No, I, I totally agree. Like every time he went in there, 
and he might only say one thing to you and that that one thing was just like there was so much in it and he, he would keep his uh his direction like pretty simple and so that just made it so, so his messaging was like he transmitted it in a way that everyone could relate to it everyone could get something from it yeah and uh, you know and even and when he did something well you know he would sort of had this like smart comment and uh, as if to sort of say, oh, you surprised me there type thing. And it was, it was hilarious. That actually, certainly for me anyways, I'm sure most people would have felt the same that it was like, oh yeah, that's what a funny guy. <laughs> and the big, the long, uh, like being up on the balcony upstairs and he's just like, you know, somebody hits a back wall post or a floater on the front wall and he's just, hold, hold. <laughs> it was brilliant. I think that that was one of the things that came across in the tributes was just how many people referred to his sort of sense of humour and certainly my recollection of him is his sort of dry wit, which most people that know me would realise that that's something that definitely appeals to me. Um, but <laughs> there was a really great uh, quote in the in the Fran piece, which I think summed him up, which was, I'm happier than I look. Because <laughs> he, he sometimes came across as being quite harsh and stern. And uh, it was only when you really sort of got to know him a little bit better, you saw that it was a really good sense of humour and a real fun-loving side to his personality that maybe didn't come across naturally. Yeah, I learned, I learned a lot of uh, what you guys are saying just through the documentary that Squash Skills put out a little while ago, and it's just such a good watch. And you can you can just tell how uh, how well he knew the game, how well he understood what people needed at every level, and just like the ultimate squash coach for for everyone from you know three years old to to the best pros in the world and and seemed like he just loved like lived and loved the club atmosphere too at uh those ponty uh christmas parties and stuff he looked like you know he's the center center of the center of the room and um yeah i mean there's a lot of places missing that right yeah i've seen him there on sunday mornings I don't want to say nine o'clock because it might be earlier than it actually was. It could have been 10 o'clock, but there's literally like toddlers, like three, four-year-olds. He's got a little sponge ball in his hand. He's standing right up on the front wall. He, like there was never any ego. It wasn't like, okay, well, you're not the best player in the world or you're not playing to a certain level. Therefore, I'm not going to teach it. He taught everyone, all levels. And he was there. And sure, you'll remember this as well. Like even for us as, as young pros that he, you know, you knew you could turn up to Pontefract any day from Monday to Friday, any morning, he would always be there. And I think, you know, I went there for, you know, five years, maybe six, plus some summers as a kid, as a junior. I, I'd say he was only not there once. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I, ne- I never went over and didn't have him there at a session. I think the only time he maybe wasn't there is when he was occasionally at tournaments with particularly James, but I think he, a little bit with Lee. Yeah, um, but essentially, if if there wasn't a tournament and he was somewhere else involved in squash, like he didn't strike me as the sort of guy that took a couple of weeks off to go on holiday. It was like if he's not there, it's because he's doing something else in the in the game. And uh, or, just, or he's at the races. <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, but I was just I was just thinking about his impact as a coach, and I was trying to think if if there's any, any greater achievement in the sport than coaching someone from the first time they step on a court to the moment they become world champion or world number one. And he's someone that's obviously done that, but not just once, but twice. And you could argue that had he 
being able to uh, continue coaching and live a little bit longer, he might have actually achieved it for a third time with Sam Todd. Uh, I know that's a long way off, but he's certainly showing promise as certainly the best player in the world for his age. And he's sort of moving through the rankings um, at a sort of steady pace that suggests that his trajectory is similar to what James and Lee had. Uh, and obviously they went on to be world number one. Um, but I just, I can't think of any other coach that's done that in our sport, uh, even once. So to have done that twice is just such a phenomenal achievement. And I think it, it speaks about the fact that his coaching was, I'm not saying he coached three and four-year-olds the way he coached uh, professionals, but there was very little change in his coaching. His methods were very clearly defined and he sort of applied them and maybe changed the session to make it a bit more fun for the younger kids. But essentially from, I remember seeing sessions with nine and 10-year-olds doing exactly the same drills that James and Lee would be doing in the afternoon. Um, and I think that that speaks to, Chris, you mentioned that he, he was able to coach all different levels, but the key to, to me was that he was able to um, keep all those players developing and learning more about the game throughout that journey, which is a really difficult thing. It's difficult to spend 20 years with a player, seeing them almost every day, and they're still learning stuff from you 20 years down the road. Yeah. I think yeah. coupled with that, on top of that, which makes it even more remarkable or certainly his achievements as a coach and as a person more remarkable was how and as testament to you know all the tributes that we've read and seen on social but how many lives he impacted and it's it's not super common for people to to plant their roots and just be like very happy and comfortable in building something and knowing you're going to be there forever and Right. I think there's so much chasing of, oh, what, where, where's the better place I can get to, or where's the next thing? And oh, maybe there's, there's some stronger players in this. He could have gone to probably any country in the world and coached or, or done anything he wanted, right? With, um, with his reputation. But there's just something to be said for being, for being so consistent and, and so, uh, content and, and, I mean, that's why people came to him, right? Like you guys and like so many others, people, people came to him for that, um, that expertise and, and just uh, mentorship. Yeah. And, Go ahead. To me, he was, he was brilliant at simplifying the game. To me, squash is quite a complex game. There's a lot of nuance to it, but he was so, he understood it so well that he could condense it down into the core elements and get that message across it. I don't know if you read much of his writing um, back in the early days of squash site. He used to write a lot of like um, tournament pieces where he would talk about matches that had taken place, but he also done, uh, did some commentary type pieces where he would just comment on what had been going on. And his writing was always so clear and concise and to the point. And he also, he was never afraid to offend people. I don't, I don't think he ever went out to offend people, but if he believed in something, he was more than happy to say it and stand by it. Um, yeah. And I always respected that. Like a lot of people in the, the obituary type things were paying respect and commenting on how opinionated they could be. But to me, that was just someone that really strongly believed in certain things and was quite happy to put that on record if that's what he believed. Yeah. 
coaching side as well, just you touched on it, you know, keeping things simple. He gave you freedom. He would leave you to it. Like you would work within certain parameters and you would be in one area of the court and your goal would be to get the ball to a certain area of the court somewhere else. And he would give you like these basic fundamentals or these little tiny pieces of information. And then the rest of it was for yourself to figure out. And so within that, everyone, uh, like, and if you look at the players that have come out of there that spent enough time there, like their skill level is very high. It doesn't mean that they were technically brilliant, but their ability to get the ball into certain areas or to show yeah, that they had options in, in areas. And within that structure, players were encouraged to express themselves and to take ownership of their own squash. And that coaching philosophy has been a huge influence on me. I'm sure, Stuart, you and, and many other former players, now coaches around the world. Yeah, I think two of the biggest examples, everyone knows, obviously, James and Lee as players, but um, David Campion was someone that he um, was heavily involved in as sort of stepfather as a player. And unfortunately, injuries cut his career short, but he's gone on to be England national coach now and had a very successful uh, coaching career. Another pe- person that's probably less well-known in the coaching world is uh, Andrew Cross, who's currently um, the Malaysian uh, I don't know if he's still national junior coach or one of the national coaches, but he's had a lot of success. It's arguable that Malaysia is probably the, the second best country in the world behind Egypt these days, in, certainly in junior squash. Um, and I know Andrew's been out there for, I think, about 10 years, uh, or just, just over. So uh, he's another person that worked with Malcolm as a junior growing up and learned a lot of his coaching methods from Malcolm. Um. But yeah, I just, I just think that he's had such a profound impact across the sport in so many different ways, so many different people, and uh, and everyone seems so uh, touched by him. That anyone that I know that has ever spent time with him seems to only have fond memories of him. Um, which for someone that's spent half his time banning players and kicking them out of the club is saying something. <laughs> um, just one final recollection that I have. The first time I ever came became aware of him was so Lee Beachel lost in the quarterfinals at the World Juniors in '96, I think, in Egypt. And I remember Malcolm wrote an article in Squash uh, Squash Player Magazine at the time, and essentially saying that he felt like he had let Lee down at the time because he had, he was playing an Egyptian who he had tried to sort of contain Lee's natural attacking instincts and encourage him to play a more defensive style of play. And I just remember this quote. I had never at that point experienced a coach taking responsibility for their player's result. Usually if the player loses, it's because they failed to execute the game plan or they didn't follow instructions. But Malcolm's willingness to say, well, actually, Lee lost that match because I didn't do my job as well as I could have done. I just thought that was such a powerful message um, in terms of, and I use it to this day when a player I'm coaching doesn't perform as well as I hope. My first thought is not what did they do wrong, it's what could I have done to get the best out of them and what do I need to do differently next time to help them perform at their, their best ability. Yeah. See, there you go. We're all like uh, heavily influenced by the greatness that was Malcolm Wilstrop such an unbelievable guy? Yeah. First time I met him, we were a bunch of Irish kids coming over. Six of us went over uh, in the year 2000. 
it was an unbelievable and just experience. I didn't know much about him uh, except for I knew that he had coached. James Woodstock was the best junior in the world at the time and Lee Beecher was kind of climbing up the ranks. And I can't believe for a second that a bunch of Irish kids, 15, 16 year olds, went over to spend a week training with Malcolm and none of you got banned from the club. Two weeks. None of us got banned. And <laughs> I remember one of the lads, Noon, was telling me, Arthur, you've got to behave when you're out here. I was like, hey, Noon, don't worry about it. He says, Arthur, you'll get banned. And I, I, like I said, don't worry about it. That would be a rough two-week trip if you're banned on the first day for two weeks and you're just sat in your room for the rest of the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, it was the best. That was actually, that, that two weeks, I remember like coming towards the end of that trip, it was like, okay, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I love just playing twice a day and listening to Malcolm talk and watching how good James was and how obviously incredible Lee was as well. And the way that, you know, one day I'm hitting with somebody who is nowhere near as good as me. And the next day I'm hitting on an equal gap in standard when I'm on court with, uh, or even more really, with Lee or James. And it was just, yeah, it was a big yeah, that, That's certainly another key component of his sort of overall coaching philosophy was that no one was ever too good to get on court with someone else. Um, I remember seeing, uh, I think it was Lee at the time, hitting with someone that was 15, 16 years old. Um, a good junior, but he was top, I think he was maybe three or four in the world at the time. Um, and he's coming down for his morning practice and Malcolm puts him on court with a 15 or 16 year old and no complaints, just gets on with it. Um, and it just highlighted just how much value players at all different levels can get from training with each other. Um, and obviously there's a there's a certain threshold where if, if they can't return the ball, then it obviously doesn't work. But um, I think that that philosophy is also something that I use regularly of mixing different players of different abilities and younger players benefit massively, both in terms of uh, not just getting to hit with those players, but also being inspired by being on court with them, um, which then quite often drives their motivation and enthusiasm for the next week. Um and they only need to spend 10 or 15 minutes on court with someone like that. And it's, it's enough to keep you going for at least a week. Yeah. And then just on the on the flip side of that, though, like if you're that player that's miles better, like almost get over yourself, like get over your ego. And just because you think you're better than someone doesn't mean that you don't apply yourself to the way that you should do. And certainly it's something you see in the US a lot more than other parts of the world. But from, that's certainly my observation is that there is definitely a much more established hierarchy where people think that they have to hit with people at the same level or slightly better than them to improve. And I think one of the things Malcolm has done is thrown that theory out of the water. And I've certainly tried to embrace it and use it. We used to do it in Scotland all the time. We'd have Thursday night sessions where some of our top juniors would come and they'd get to hit with people like Alan Klein and me at the time and some others. And yeah, I just think it's such a great philosophy to make the game fun and enjoyable for everyone and if it's structured right everyone benefits as well because I get to spend a bit more time just working on my accuracy and making sure my, I'm not under as much pressure if I'm the, the stronger player and I can really prioritize just my shot quality or my decision making rather than worrying about trying to get the ball back I think if you're if you're always playing with people better than you you end up becoming quite good at retrieving and defending and staying in the rallies but not necessarily applying pressure and finding other ways to control the point totally um, so yeah really really sad and like I, I know you you had a bit of a moment and then last night like I say I spent two or three hours just reading different obituaries and 
tribute and like I say I would highly recommend that piece that Fram wrote um, from 2004 and also the documentary that uh, Squash Girls put up that Chris mentioned earlier was, I think it's like 75 minutes long if you've got a Squash Girls account but it's absolutely fascinating and there's two of them right? Uh, there's one specifically on Malcolm himself I believe and then the other um, one's on the club and the, and the other one's a bit more broad and Malcolm's obviously part of it but it's more about Pontefract and the, the culture around the club yeah, huge, huge loss. Yeah. Huge loss. Grateful for the legacy that he's left behind. What a guy. Yeah, like I say, I can't imagine anyone's ever going to achieve what he's done, which is producing two world number ones from, I think, well, James was probably two years old when he first got on court with Malcolm, and I think Lee said he was about seven, seven or eight. So I just think that's such a phenomenal achievement. All right, we're going to move into our uh, interviews and we're delighted to welcome on the current world number 77, fresh off her victory in Texas, uh, Karina Timer. Karina, how are you doing? Good to see you. Good. Thank you for having me. No, it's a pleasure. Congrats on your first ever uh, first ever tournament win on the PSA World Tour. Must be must feel amazing. Yeah, it feels good, especially after the whole year. Of... Not, not the easiest year, but yeah. Why is that? Feels good. Just no squash, basically, for me. Like, not too many tournaments, so it feels good to have that one. Jeez, you're probably the only person who had a bad year. Yeah, we have noticed. I mean... I've <laughs> <laughs> had a great year. <laughs> I mean, no, no. I mean, like, with COVID and everything. Yeah, don't let him. They're, they're, he's, he's messing with you. <laughs> Give it right back. I mean, in fairness, I have had a great year. I've said it multiple times. I've had a great year, but... <laughs> <laughs> That's just because I was I was socially distancing long before it was popular. She <laughs> <laughs> was in the minority, as you can tell. <laughs> him, and the, him and the creators of Zoom have, have, have had a great year. <laughs> yeah, genuinely. Oh my gosh. So you, you obviously, I mean, great run in the tournament. Uh, your semi-final victory was against Haley Mendes, who's 42 in the world. and I mean, that's, that's a great win. Uh, your ranking has now gone up to 77. I mean, do you want to talk us through a little bit about the event and, and how you played and how you felt going into it? I mean, it's like the only event, like PSA event, like proper one I've played in like over a year. So I was just like super excited to play it, like not going to lie. Um, and yeah, no, there was, you know, some incentive. Like I was, I was 86, I think, before. So it was just like, well, this might be one of the only tournaments this season, so might as well just have fun. And I went with my teammates. I went with Alina Bushma and uh, Margot Prow as well. We all went together. So that was, that's always so much, like, it's just fun because I'm not by myself the whole time. So, yeah, no, I felt great playing as well. I don't know, things just kind of happened. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. What was it like in terms of like protocols? Because we've heard a little bit about the bubble they create around some of the bigger platinum events, but was it the same at the challenger level or was it a little bit more relaxed? It was a lot more relaxed, I'd say, <laughs> like, especially in Texas. Like, I'm not, I mean, we had to stay in hotels because they, they want us to be in hotels rather than like staying with people. Um, but yeah, masks before you go on court. 
Yeah, I don't know. The, it was quite that, small. Hey, that's that's, that's strict for Texas, though. <laughs> I, I don't know if you guys watched the boxing at the weekend with the Saul Canelo Alvarez fight against the British guy, but they had 70,000 or 60 something thousand in an indoor stadium in Texas last weekend. So uh, they're obviously, and, and I watched it as well, and there was very few people wearing masks. So I'm not sure how serious they're taking it down there. Yeah, no, it's it's free to relax. I'm not gonna. Lie. Um, but also, it was a small tournament, though. I think there were only 24 girls, so not too many people. So okay. Yeah, and it's hard to complain because basically all the tournaments in the U.S. have been in the South, where you know the restrictions are down. So it's like or none. <laughs> yeah, or none. Yeah. You were down in Florida earlier this year, Chris. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's there's a lot of where, where I found where there's a lot of East Coast transplants, people just there for vacation. It was a little stricter. Uh, like the local people didn't didn't seem to care about much. Yeah. Huffing in each other's faces and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible carry on. <laughs> so, do you have any idea what's coming up next? Um, there's another event. So actually, yeah, my June is pretty busy for me. So there's another event in Texas and Houston again, but it's in a different club um, at the beginning. And then I'm flying home because uh, I have nationals, individuals, and then I'm actually playing and then teams as well. But in between, I'm playing a the 5K in Odense in Denmark, uh, which is a qualifier for the Worlds. Nice. So it's going to be fun. Interesting, interesting month, but intense, intense. Yeah. It's good from no action to plenty of it. Yeah, right? <laughs> Straight in. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're going in with a nice bit of momentum anyways. That's got to give you a bit of belief and confidence. And you maybe you need to bring your teammates with you. Honestly, I yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> honestly, it's just I've been enjoying squash. Like this, this uh, since I've come back to Philly and like been able to play, I've just been really enjoying it. Um I think honestly, COVID like helped me like have a break from it because after after like individuals, uh, the C- like CSA individuals, I was really burnt out, and then I was kind of like, oh gosh, like I don't want to play, I don't want to train, like so it came at a good time, and then now I'm just like enjoying it way more than I was a year ago. So yeah, it is an interesting thing that the college squash season, right? Like it's it's really fun, but it's it's so compact and there's so like little time for, for decompressing in between big weekends that, uh, it, yeah, mm. it's, it's not necessarily set up to, to be like sustainable for more than just that three or four months of, of competition. Um, which yeah, yeah. It'd, be, it'd be amazing if it were just like a normal September to May season where you got a few weeks off every once in a while to, to kind of, you know, get back to get back to a level level head but um yeah nobody tells you that when you come in it's like yeah <laughs> and I'm like I was like oh November to March that's nothing <laughs> oh, was I wrong oh my gosh but it's it's good it's good I mean it teaches you to actually perform which I, I appreciate because you sometimes in those two weeks in between tournaments you might like yeah you'll you know ish like what to work on but you're literally competing every weekend, which just like, I don't know, it, it helped me to like improve my game and like 
figure out what I actually like what I want to how I want to play yeah yeah and you have to get used to just like playing through everything right like when you're not when you're busy with school slash when you're maybe a little sick like there's just yeah there you just got to get up every weekend and and <laughs> <Hung> uh, <over>. <laughs> <laughs> What? No, no, no. I'm only, I'm only 21 now, you know. Yeah. Strict, strict, uh, <laughs> strict follower of the 48 hour rule, Arthur. Um, no comment. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> but it is, yeah, it is. It's a, it's a good way to kind of toughen yourself up. It sounds, sounds a little bit like maybe like the European leagues and stuff where, you know, you just gotta, gotta get a, got to get on a bus or get on a train and, and go and compete and doesn't matter who you're playing. It's going to be tough. Yeah, that's true. But yeah. I felt that. I felt that last year. But. <laughs> I think the, the big advantage of college rush though is that you get to do it with some teammates and you have coaches around you and you're kind of, you're not left on your own the way you can be in, in Europe and the UK if you're just sort of traveling around and playing league matches. Yeah, completely. I think I think on it honestly, like going to college was a great decision for me personally. Um like I, I don't know. I don't know how people like now that I'm in this environment, um, I'm kind of surprised how much I was able to be by myself. And like for a nine eighteen, nineteen year old, like it's like that's that's that was not a good thing for me at least personally. Um like just feeling a bit isolated like now whenever we go to these matches and play other people and and same with Houston that's I think why I really enjoyed it um as well was because I was with people the whole time well not the whole time but I had teammates I had you know a few laughs um yeah more balanced not like just to the courts practice have lunch on your own have a snooze watch Netflix Maybe eat your noodles. Eat your noodles. What was your big What was your big ninety nine cent meal there, Arthur? Oh, it was less than that. (laughs) (laughs) Rice, rice, beans, and broccoli. (laughs) Every day for about two years. (laughs) No, it's it's the pasta. It's the pastas for me, honestly. The the like red sauce pastas. Yeah. I actually, you know what, I, I can't, like red sauce, I can't do red sauce pasta anymore. I can't eat beans anymore. <laughs> I can just about stomach rice. I never liked potatoes. Oh, man. <laughs> You're Irish. How is that? <laughs> well, that's, How is that? Well, I mean, I don't know. I just think I like, I like chips, or as you would call, or as maybe Chris might call them fries. Um, yeah, I don't know. Chris is all about the poutine. Gilly reminds me of that every single time I see him so do you have any plans you've obviously got what two years left in college Um, first question is did you ever consider taking a year out and obviously not losing this season um, so that you could still compete for three years in college or are you sort of looking to graduate so that you can get on the PSA tour as soon as possible so I took a year out before coming here so I was already 19 and like, I, and I'm, to be honest, I have, I probably could do a fifth year. Um, de- but then again, I, it's depending on if I can play. I think I, I don't know, but I'm, I'm, I'm still looking to graduate in four years and yeah, go on with PSA essentially. I'm still young, you know, <laughs> so we can do it. <laughs> <But> yeah. 
I think just 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 turning twenty one. I think you've got a good fifteen years ahead of you. <laughs> oh, don't. That's that's way too long. That's way too long. I'd say like at least ten, and then we'll see, and then we'll recap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's an interesting time to be honest, because there's a few people who are thinking of taking another year out, like year in school. But then I don't know. Like I don't know. I, I already took a year out, so I don't really need to. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's a confusing time right now. <laughs> <laughs> what did you do that year? Were you just training full time or? yeah stuff. i was yeah so i was i was um i was i still had pretty much a whole season of juniors as well so my last tournament was europeans um which was good because i won um <laughs> but uh, <yeah. laughs> um and then, yeah i played a few tournaments i got up to i think by the end of the season i got up to 100 in the world but honestly it was so much tougher in europe just playing trying to get into tournaments um, and it was, I think it was the second year that they put it. So there's no qualifying that it's just, you get in or you're not. So there was a few times, a few stressful times where I had to book flights last minute and stuff like that. So yeah, I'm happier to be, uh, to be here and not stressed out about flights and, uh, yeah. And hopefully if you can make a little bit of progress up the rankings while you're in college, then it's a lot easier when you get started for real, right? Yeah, no, I mean, I got into, I got into 10K, I got into, I was, I got a wild card for 30K here. Like, it, it's just, this, yeah, it's just easier to build your ranking whilst in college as well, right now, for me, at least. I mean, just think how much your ranking is going to go up if you win this event and then qualify for the Worlds and then make, like, quarters there, like... Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're gonna be top 50 in no time then you're playing all of these big events <laughs> whoa, whoa. i mean i just turned 21 so i have not had the most productive week um, um so i don't know i don't know i could that would that would be amazing i mean if i could qualify for the world that would be that would be amazing that's like my next goal for like the next upcoming time but but we'll see and we'll then see. make quarters or Maybe. uh depends on the draw you know yeah <laughs> i mean say you've just turned 21 i'm pretty sure hanya's 21 so yeah i know yeah <laughs> yeah i know Ooh. but hanya yeah <laughs> hanya definitely has a much cleaner lifestyle than me right now so <laughs> america yeah. america will get you that means got- student life right like- <laughs> yeah well, we've got five girls in our uh, team at the moment that are all going through senior week. So um, I just saw one of them this morning and she was not looking at her best. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, amazing, amazing. Especially on a day like this, like, what else can you, what, what do you want more? Yeah, what do you want us you to know? do? Go for a walk? Come on. Yeah, like, come on. <laughs> <laughs> I've, got my, I've got my second shot at the vaccine coming up this afternoon so Ooh. good luck good luck hope you feel good after because i i mean i i had a decent time i mean i didn't have too many side effects but some of my teammates they they did not feel good after yeah i've heard that but it's worth it yeah, yeah no for sure and plus those hallucinations they don't last forever so <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, Karina, listen, thanks a million for joining us. And, uh, yeah, we look, look forward to seeing your progress over the next couple of months and the season ahead. And, yeah, best of luck achieving your goals, especially reaching the World Open. Thank you. 
in Chicago. <laughs> Thank you. No worries. Thank you. Yeah, good luck, Karina. Mm. Thanks. All right. Thank you, guys. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> All right. See you guys. See yeah. you. Take it Bye. easy. Bye. Nice one. Well, earlier on we caught up with uh, with Robbie Downer, who also secured his maiden uh, title on the PSA World Tour in Prague on the same week. Delighted to welcome onto the show an old friend of ours, Robbie Downer, who recently just had tasted his first success in the PSA World Tour and simultaneously cracked into the top hundred for the first time in his career. Robbie, thanks a for joining us. How you doing, man? Yeah, thanks for that, Arthur. Uh, thanks for having me. Um... Good to be out on a on a debut podcast for for me. I don't know how many you've done already, but uh, yeah, that's no, uh, cheers for the call up. No, it's just an excuse to catch up and see how you're doing, and just to yeah, I, lo- I love the beard, man. It looks good on you. Yeah, no, this is it's, it's growing back now. I can't believe the actual my actual hair is growing back as well. I I, I mean I I haven't had a uh, single haircut since lockdown. I've just been shaving it myself. <laughs> so it's been I can't believe it grew back. I mean just. They always say that if you uh, like sh- keep shaving it, it will grow back better. But I didn't believe it because uh, on the front middle, it was really thinning out, but it seems to have filled out from the sides. So I've improvised well. I'm happy. So, so every day you're just taking the razor and just kind of coming over that spot. I don't know. I've just invested in better shampoo. I've got a good shampoo at the moment. It's really it's working wonders. It's got like 99% natural stuff in it. It's, it goes really thick when you use it, but then after about five minutes, it gets the shine back and it's got a bit of volume. I'm, I'm really, really going to stick with that. It's just like once, tending, once by tending, head and shoulders. <laughs> yeah, it's like tending a garden. You're just kind of. Oh kinda yeah, yeah. Well, it grows quick enough as well. Like, I mean, I mean, any any longer, and I'm in danger of looking like Wolverines. So. <laughs> so yeah, obviously a great weekend. Congrats. That's an amazing achievement to win your first event and. I know you've been you've been grinding, you've been working hard for a number of years, and it must have felt amazing just to taste that bit of success. And now that the dust has settled a wee bit, you know, how do you reflect on the week that you had? Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it was an interesting feeling. I mean, that sort of getting to the the finish line and stuff felt kind of uh, when I went like straight after the final, kind of felt a bit kind of underwhelming a little bit because I kind of I kind of expected. To win the final once I won the semis because for me once I you know in the middle of the tournament I really I looked at once I'd made semis I really looked at the you know uh sort of Yannick as the, the man to beat because uh, I've seen him you know he'd give me trouble before I had a five setter with him a few years ago and I really felt like I'd have you know too much for the other guys in the other half but uh it's kind of been about two three years now where I can kind of tell if I'm going to play well at a tournament you know, like in terms of dictate that I can really play how I want to freely and not stressing, but without having to like, you know, dig deep, you know, in sort of plan B, C and all the way to Z, you know, if I have to, you know, <laughs> use just grit and fitness and just, you know, you know, determination, but not playing the way I want to. But yeah, this was a tournament where, okay, I'm, uh, I'm playing on home, what's now home courts as well. So there was a few things that, you know, were, were going my way and uh yeah no it was, it was more it was more I took more about it the way I was playing and watching some of the matches back uh I couldn't believe it was me on court like I just I mean I'm you know to, to crack the top 100 off the back of it was really really special as well but it was it's more you know I sometimes disbelief that I've managed to 
at this current level, whatever this current level is. I mean, okay, somewhere in the region of top 100 now because, okay, the ranking dictates, but not everyone's playing at the moment. So, but I'm just, I'm just really happy with actually just how the squash looks and feels and the other stuff really is just taking care of itself. So, You said there that you, you feel like you know leading into a tournament how you're going to play. Is that, does that come from just the work you've done and the way you feel in training or is it more mental? Um, it's, it's both. I mean, it's like, I think there is an experience element with fine tuning how I feel in my mind. If I can like lower down the stress levels and anxiety, you know, if I've got dealing with everyday life and to be honest, I feel like I'm dealing with, you know, a lot of stuff off court and to be able to get into that frame of mind at the moment is, is actually more difficult. So if I, I know if I can do get a sense of that now, then I, I know that I can really focus on the other stuff and yeah, the training, like, the structure here with with the coaches and and uh, all the input I've been having from a lot of people uh, it's 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 just made me more clear about how I can you know use my own style with justice but at the same time make myself yeah you know make myself tougher to beat as well and that's kind of given me a lot of confidence. Um, are you, are you the type of player that you know when when the if you're feeling feeling like you're in that zone and you're feeling good in the first round you can kind of you you have a lot of confidence and like that's that's going to stick and you can keep it where even if you maybe win the first round but it feels dodgy and your mind's not right you, you have a bit of trouble getting it getting it going yeah i mean like i, I kind of this kind of bit was instilled in juniors because i did quite well as a junior and stuff and i absolutely thrive in in finals so if i can get as far to the final i i, I feel like i'm i'm tough to beat if i can get to a final so it's early rounds when you know, you're not sure how your, tra- your training's translating into a match. You know, you've got the nerves. You've got so many stresses that can, you know, make its way. But it's a, it's a you know, I mean, semifinals are great, you know. But, uh, you know, getting to a final, it's that feeling of getting to the last day. You know, there's only you and one other guy going to be there. It is something special. And kind of, I can accept, you know, you know, lose, I can accept losing to the final if, if it gets to that stage. But it's, yeah, it's just... Uh, yeah, different mindset, really. And, you know, you've been doing it a long time. I mean, what age are you now, Robbie? 28, 29? Just, just turned 29, yeah, in, back in March, yeah. Happy birthday. Be late, no worries. Um, but, you know, you've been, do you have a sense of, like, a greater sense of, like, who you are and this, like, what you need to do to get into the right frame of mind? Or is it, is it a little bit uh, less predictable, like, that you wake up and, like, okay, I'm feeling good this week, and therefore, I know I'm going to play well, regardless of the outcome, and that'll take care of itself. Or is it simultaneously when you don't feel so great mentally? Do you know how to get yourself into the place where you need to be to play the level of squash and, and the style of squash that you feel happy with, that you enjoy? That's a very good, very good uh, long sections of, of a big question there. I like it. Like, um, yeah, I, I think that for me, what's been interesting especially in the last six months is with everything going on with with me sort of addressing more and more you know you know personal things in my life and trying to trying to make sure my squash can rise above anything I'm dealing with and it's kind of you know there's been whenever I've dealt with like financial difficulties or you know mental emotional ones if I've you know been away from my mum so long or you know um you know just anything that crops up you know in, in everyday life and I feel that you know, when I'm in the middle of the of the fight, and that's the pro- that's this is kind of the problem. When I feel like I'm fighting all this stuff, my 
you know, I, I don't, it makes me volatile in training. Like I'll be a bit chirpy. I might, you know, I might get a bit, you know, frustrated with my training partners and stuff like this. And I, I catch myself and I, I, I don't enjoy feeling like that, but it makes me tense and I still get all the work done. Don't get me wrong. But when things are like that, I always skimp out on the stretching. I, you know, I just feel like I, I put in a hundred percent on the, on the session, on the big sessions, but taking care of the finer details requires more peace of mind for me. And I, I lack that. But then every time I solve, every time I get past the difficulty uh, and I feel even slightly good, I kind of ride that wave and I really, I really find that, you know, I, I, it's been crazy. There's been two months in the last six where I saw, you know, it, and it's, it's really reflective of how things have become with the pandemic and stuff. It's like if, uh, if you've got something to look forward to, you know, whether it's a tournament or a holiday or anything, you know, it can be you know, meeting up with your friends on the weekend is things we've been lacking. But as long as I've got that and things are slightly good, I can kind of draw on that. And there was two months where it was November and there was February where my finances were steady for at least a couple of months. Um, you know, body was working, no injuries, and they were plain sailing. I knew each month was going to be good and they were the best months uh, I've been here. And it's kind of like how much of that is down to what I sorted out, but how much is that down to what I told myself going into the month? So I'm trying to look, I'm trying to take a step back and, see what I did there and see actually when times are bad I, why don't I just get myself in the same mindset because it clearly that clearly had something to do with it it wasn't just it wasn't just the fact that things were better around me it was it was what was going on upstairs that I felt yeah that's such a such like a great lesson for young young pros I mean I, I've witnessed it a bunch in you know in guys like my brother and, and other young pros like there is there's a lot of struggle, right? Like working your way up and, and, and playing, playing these tournaments and finding, finding a place you like that you're happy in and is good, has good training and good people around you and, you know, good relationships. And then, and then there's the money. And when all that stuff isn't clicking, it's like, how do you expect results to be there? Right. How do you expect to perform when you have all that extra stress on a daily basis? And, um, I mean, it's like, like that a little bit in the working world, but you can, when you're just kind of having to log on for a podcast every day, you can get away with being a bit grumpy, right, Stuart? <laughs> I, I don't know the difference between being grumpy because of what's going on and just being grumpy because that's who I am. <laughs> yeah. it, it, it does make me think about, I mean, I can't imagine how difficult it's been to be a professional squash player in the last year, especially, I mean, we see a little bit about how difficult it's been for the top players, but at least they've had some tournaments. Now you've probably amongst the players in the challenger tour, you've been amongst the lucky few that have got to compete fairly regularly, but what has it been like in the last year with so much uncertainty, so much sort of not knowing when you're going to be able to travel, not knowing what your training is going to look like, potential shutdowns. Like just what's your experience been like in the last year? Um, I mean, I mean, for me, I, I, again, like in terms of volume of tournaments during this time, I've been incredibly lucky. I mean, but, you know, there was like just there was a few stages to it. Like I, I was only supposed to go to Europe for three weeks. I was I went to Barcelona to train with my friend Bernat, and then I need I went I went to straight to Germany because I was running out of money in England, and so I went did some coaching camps and uh, some individual uh, lessons there. And uh, you know, the day before I went to Germany, I spoke to Juan Vargas, my friend, Colombian guy who's in Prague. And uh, yeah, he said like we're training and it was only six hours from 
uh, Stuttgart. So I, I went there and then popped up a tournament in Switzerland and Austria. And, you know, PSA didn't let me play the, there's a tournament in August. They didn't let me play that one because I'd only been in Prague two weeks and I wasn't like part of the group or anything yet. So, you know, each, each time I adapted and then there just happened to be, you know, I, pl- I played two tournaments off the fact that my residence, because I, I had an apartment where I was staying at in Stuttgart in Germany. And then, you know, I, I was there, I was in Germany for five weeks, six weeks, you know, just co- like mainly just coaching and, and training a bit. And then I had the, the two tournaments, yeah, Switzerland and Austria. And yeah, then came back to Prague and then like, yeah, I, I was made aware that there's going to be some tournaments down the line, you know, tell them, you know, I, I became a part of the group, integrated really smoothly. You know, they're, they're pretty picky about how they pick, but I was already on really good terms and with quite a few of them and, you know, a couple of already good friends. So that works out well. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, off the back of that, Greg needed to get his ranking up and his sponsor got, <laughs> got quite a few tournaments going on. And, you know, I felt a bit, yeah, it was, uh, it was just, uh, I mean, they, you know, PSA told me that uh, if even if I did, move back as residents of England, which I'm not going to be, that I wouldn't be able to play the domestic uh, tournaments, which I think is completely fair anyway. Um, it's just, I felt quite honoured that they made a rule that only specified me not being able to do that. But, you know, I did <laughs> things during this time that not many people did. And that comes down to probably a few things. I'm, I'm you know, I tried to get more people out here in October, November, then they, then they locked the borders. So, you know, that, that was it. But uh, yeah. I'm always interested to see if more people are going to adapt and find their way to to keep playing, but it's it's tough for sure. Savvy vet move right there. The uh, I was just I was just actually scrolling down your PSA bio, and I was going to say how uh, yeah if, if Greg if Greg wasn't in those tournaments, you had to play them back to back to back, right? Uh, you 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 had some good run <laughs> you had some good runs going there. He he obviously he's doing doing everyone a favor having such a being such a great part of what's going on in Prague but kind of stole he stole a couple points from you there some prize money oh I mean like uh the worst I mean getting to play Greg three times in a row (laughs) um in three tournaments on the bounce uh is something that is obviously is unbelievably special because you know I'm hoping to rise keep rising in the rankings but you know him him you know in his final years you know how you know is there is there certainty that I'm going to play him in a world series tournament when he now he's back up there you know there's not so it's, I was thrilled to bits with that but you know it's kind of it's kind of again that's why it was sweet getting the you know finally he'd uh he'd reached his limit of <laughs> four domestic and cross-border tournaments and and won all, won all the ones he played so he there was no need for him to play this one but uh I'm saying it was it was bittersweet because I in the in all even the one I won the four the last four tournaments I played okay in three of them Greg the earliest point I could meet him and I drew the top and I drew uh, yeah whatever I was seeded where I, whether I was four or five every time I was in top half top half so <laughs> you know I, and and it was me like you know I was I was looking at all the guys in the bottom half and you know all, all those guys were in the tournament. I, I won and it's just like I'm like come on I want to play these guys like it's great but no no you know I, I've got nothing to complain about you know just I'm just grateful for it all and you know each time with Greg was different as well so from again I always bring it back to the pure squash like playing like it, it was me you know really 
you know, starting to work on my movement and feel better on court and get a good training block in. And Greg's just coming back to as close to his best level as he can get with, with everything that's happened. So it was, every time I'd improve, I'm like, right, let's get stuck into him, maybe try and nick a game. And the, the third time I played him was the worst. I, I was, you know, moving really well and stuff. And he sort of, the harder I pushed, the quicker he battered me. It was horrible. So. <laughs> he, he does make you feel very uncomfortable, blimey. Uh, I, don't, I don't need to feel that kind of uncomfortableness to, to know. You felt it a few weeks ago in Providence, bro. <laughs> oh, yeah. We haven't, we haven't talked about that. No, we don't. I had to get a cheap shot in somewhere, didn't no, you? No, yeah. I just, I just, you teed it up. You teed it up so nicely. It was just, you know, it obviously is not, nothing Guys, to compare 25 to. time Irish national champ. What should I expect, right? Yeah. You can't lead with innocence with him, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Robbie, so you cracked top 100. What are your kind of goals going forward? I, I know there's probably some obvious ones, but, but what, what, how do you sort of plan? to kind of keep going and, and to carry the, the wave of the momentum that you've kind of attained at your previous event? Um, well, I, you know, I've had lots of people, you know, tell, tell message me and, you know, that, that, that's been a big word that, you know, like uh, Kempe, Jonathan Kemp has been my, he's still involved with me a lot. He's been my coach for five, six years now, uh, since 2015. And, you know, he, he talks about momentum and, you know, and, and not, you know, not, uh, not taking the foot off the pedal and, and all of that so I really had to you know embrace what that means and learn what that means and I think I think you know it's been what two three weeks since the, tour- the tournament I won and uh, I think yes I think it was yesterday or the day before was the first time I've sat down with my notes on my iPad and just actually gone you know really what okay my goal is to get us you know to really push for the top but you know how am I going to do that you know I didn't go into too much depth with that myself the other day but I did actually go what's the next step and you know I had a good think about that and an obvious one that people think is, oh yeah, like obviously it's nice to look at oh top fifty, but but for me that's a big jump. Uh, so for the, you know, I, I mean I think in terms, I put like, you know, in my goal setting I kind of put like there's a there's and this is kind of with the lack of tournaments going on. I put I felt a, a very calming way of doing my goal setting was, you know, in a year or two, what level do I want to be at and what rankings do I want to be at because. I could be at the level of something, but then I might not have the opportunities or I might have some very tough draws. There's some, you know, up and coming players, you know, you, that there's, there's all these factors. So I, I kind of put two parallel, you know, goals for, for, for how I want to, you know, attack the next year or so. And uh, for me, I just, I want to get to that ranking where I'm starting to be on the edge of getting into World Series tournaments. And, you know, that would, that, you know, that's, that's, that's for me. Um, you know, I, 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 you know, a lot of people would tell me at 29, you know, are oh, you, you know, you don't think you can reach the top or all of this, and oh, it's just more important Nonsense. I don't listen because I'm looking after myself well, and I'm in an accelerated learning environment here with with Greg and the, and the coaches have been great, so um, I, I'm, I'm not gonna. That's another reason why I left England because too much doubt. So, um, so yeah, yeah, that's all nonsense. 29 you've got I mean look at Greg he's 38 science is way better than it ever was we have way more knowledge yeah. way more. and if you're as committed as ever and, and you keep going like there's no ceiling you only like except for what you put on yourself and if you haven't got one on yourself then keep going see what you can do yeah no no, no I, I, I totally agree I mean that's that's just it I mean 
that's one of the things you know being around being around Greg with with what he's been doing since 33 34 where you know you, you, that's sort of the age where you really started to see how impressive what he's doing at his age is you know because before that he was still because I mean I think I think I'd, I'd like to think you probably agree like the, the real prime of that freshness in the body is probably what from 27 28 through to like 32 33 but then it's 36 if you're, a, if, you're a beast, <laughs> if you're a beast like him <laughs> I don't know I mean how, how old were you and you were still battering me Arthur so that's that, that was your prime wasn't it I had no prime. The guy just got a haircut, a haircut and a shave and he looks 10 years younger. He's, I mean, it's Benjamin Button over here. Oh, yeah. Because he spent a weekend with us, Chris. Yeah. It's a, it's a combination of all three. You see, it's a cocktail. It's not just one thing that leads to that freshness. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think one of the keys that you touched upon, Rob, is um, that willingness to, you talked about the accelerated learning environment, but to me, it's not necessarily about um, your age. It's whether you're still keen to learn and you still feel that you can learn and keep improving your game and adding things. And um, it seems like you still have that mentality. And as long as, like you say, your body physically holds up and you can put in the work, then I think when you've got that approach, then there's no real limit to how long you can continue improving. I'm just wondering, wondering what you've sort of identified in terms of what it's going to take to make the next step up. What, what do you want to add to your game? What do you want to try and improve and get get better? I mean, I mean, I, I think for me, with with my understanding of the game and the way I naturally have been playing the game for for years, it's it's all about you know, is about simplifying what I do because I you know I can be so raw and go for a lot of shots and you know, move really explosively onto the ball. But that's what's been great about being here because there's an element of controlling my my, my, my power into the into the corners and, you know, using my attacks with structure and stuff. And, you know, it's just, you know, I've had some brilliant coaches over the years and pretty much all of them are still involved to a certain point. You know, I like to communicate. They've all become friends and they all I communicate well with them. So I feel, um, yeah, I feel that... Um, I just got to keep pushing on, really. Yeah, no doubt. You've always had the ability. I remember uh, even as a as a top junior, you know, well able to hit the ball, well able to move, but putting it in some structure, putting it together, maybe in a slightly more efficient and effective way. Yeah, might help you breathe that consistency to to see what your see what your potential really is and, and how far you actually can go. Yeah. I, mean, I had a bit of a bit of a mind blank then, but I'm, I've got it back now. So I, I feel like <laughs> honesty, honesty is a good one. It's fine. So I, I, I feel like for me, for so many years, I people when they played me, uh, and I'm, I've been six foot for quite a few years. You know, six foot tall. Um, so I was not using my height and reach. I was getting stuck in the front corners. You know, where under real pressure, I was hitting hitting cross court and then getting punished. And you know just not able to use use my reach effectively. And, you know, so I was basically poor man's Ali Farag, you know, really tall and really long arms and legs, <laughs> but, you know, not really well coordinated with that and always just, you know, really good at seeing the ball and reading the game, going into the corners, but just not knowing how to control my body. So I think for me, it's really tough. And I think it's just keep, I think, I think I feel like I'm on the good path. I feel like there's a real clarity with, 
you know how how I can be improving and stuff. I feel like using my height and reach and you know controlling the middle of the court more. Yes, I like to be threatening in the back corners, and I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty confident in the front corners with what I can do with you know with my with my quality of hitting. But really, that's you know simple simple game, simple stuff. Really, really controlling the middle of the court better. I think that's. I think you, when you look at those players who are just inside the top 100 to the ones who are top 50 and they just volley more. UK, like, they might be, you know, mentally more switched on or, you know, physically able to hang in there a bit better, but that's small margins. I think it's about how much you're taking the game to opponents. So I feel like, you know, that's that's what I've got to do more of. Um, yeah. What about your, your sort of schedule coming up? Do you have any tournaments lined up or do you know if you're going to get to play any more challenger events or even slightly higher levels? So yeah, no, it's I've, I've, well for the first time. I don't know if it's, it's similar to this uh, before Christmas at one point, but yeah, I've got two tournaments this month. I've got one in France and then another one in Prague, uh, both five k uh, challenger fives. Um, so that's I only went back to England for two weeks just recently, and everyone's like, "Oh, why aren't you staying longer?" Because I was initially going back for a month, and I'm like, oh, "If I stay here, there's no tournaments for at least two months." So I come back to Prague and. I've got two to play, so uh, yeah. So I think, yeah. What day is it now? Is it, is it first? Yeah, a week, to, a week today. I go to France, so um, just just getting ready for that now. So yeah, it's like, uh, I've got those. Two, yeah, Malouse and then Prague, and then I've got there's one in June in Denmark, um, which uh, is a World Open qualifying event. So whoever wins that uh, will get a place at the next World Championships, which is over in the States somewhere, I think. So I think uh, that would be a very strong tournament. But again, that's something I'm, I'm really training for and having a chance to, if not win, at least feel like I'm in contention for, you know, having a crack at it. So, so you're only, what, 11, 10 or 11 wins away from winning a share of a million million dollars? Just win, win the tournament in Denmark, qualify for the Worlds in Chicago, win that, and you're getting, don't know what the prize money is, but I think it's like 80 grand. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I think that's it. I think I think you've I think you've given it there. I think I should probably like you know just fill in the blanks of my opponents for all of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, just, I think that's, you know one take it one match at a time, Robbie. But <laughs> <laughs> one match at a time, but planned. Yeah, I mean that's uh, yeah. I don't I don't I think I think the that would break the that would break the squash world if someone did that. That'd be quite a quite a climb. I mean that would be it's using lockdown and lockdowns wisely, but I don't know. I mean, so, someone coming from like, quali- back in the days when there was qualifying, someone coming through qualifying and reaching like quarters or semis was unheard of. I only remember like one or two people, like Marwan came from qualifying, got quarters of Tournament of Champions one year. So that was pretty impressive. But, John, uh, I, have, I, have yeah, good, I have a good the stuff here. John on. Power, the only, only guy to come out of qualifying to win a Super Series. Ooh. Did he really? Yeah. First TOC, right? Uh, was it or was it a different? I'm one? not sure. I'm not sure. I should know that stat. My Chris big Walker. memories. Chris Walker was my, my uh, one. British Open final. Tulev up against Palmer in the final, and then just goosed. <laughs> Although to be fair, he had been a very, very high-ranked player previously, and then he just took a little bit of time off and came back. Oh, doesn't count. Doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> Useless. But yeah, I think his rag kind of dropped so much that he was forced to go back and qualify and come through that and went through to make the final. Well, you got yeah. a few new fans and, well, at least me, 
me and probably have like, you know, 20 listeners that I think are going to be pulling for you now, Robbie. Oh, what have we got? Have we got 20 listeners currently? Have we? We've got live uh, listeners. So, can you boost us to like 30? 21? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. I didn't know this was going out live. God, you, that was a catch twenty-two, wasn't it? I didn't know about that. <laughs> this is just for the. This is just for the personal vault. No, no, we'll, 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 probably. Go on. <laughs> it's probably best you didn't tell me. I got really nervous. No, it's it's not live. You're you're all good. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All we, right. You need to learn to deal with pressure. Pressure, though. If you're going to win the world championship, you've got to get used to pressure. So this is a start. Yeah. Oh, you, you've, you've reminded me, I've got a friend, uh, the guy who organises the Romanian Open, his name's Callan, he's a lovely bloke, and he sent me a message after a one, and he, goes, he said, you really need to work on your winner's gaze. He said, like the photo of me in the trophy, I was just a bit a bit dazed, <laughs> okay, I was probably tired after the match, but he's like, you really need to work on your winner, winner's gaze, so that's in my homework as well, so. Perfect. Lovely stuff. Well, Robbie, man, it's been great to see you, congrats again, and uh, yeah, keep fighting the good fight, and look forward to seeing you. Yeah, no, thanks a lot. Hope, hope to see you all soon. And yeah, been, been, a, been a good catch up. Yeah, stay safe, yeah. man. Good luck, Cheers. man. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Yeah, Cheers. Okay, that's uh, episode 57. Uh, if you like what you hear, check us out on social, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening. Cheers.